This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi and welcome to Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Joyce Tu. In this episode, we are going to tackle stress. Is that all too familiar feeling that we have experienced, though it affects us differently? Well, the key is to recognize it should it become a problem because long-term stress can harm your health and trigger the development of mental health disorders. So my guest today is Professor Daniel Fong, the Chief Executive of the Institute of Mental Health and a child psychiatrist. Traditionally, IMH has focused mainly on taking care of those who are severely ill with mental disorders. Now it also wants to look at improving the mental health of Singaporeans. So specifically, it wants to help people manage their stress so that they can avoid falling ill with a mental disorder later on. Hi, Prof Feng. Very glad to have you here on the program to talk about stress and how it can affect us. Hello, Joyce. Happy to be here. And I'm uh, feeling a little stressed myself. <laughs> right. So stress <laughs> is something that we all experience, right? I mean, I think it will be impossible to find someone who has not experienced it. So let's start by talking about what stress is. And, you know, probably we know stress can lead to mental illness, right? But when does it become a problem? Well, I, you know, stress is a very interesting um, topic because it's not clear that there is a measurable element that is consistent across the board. We use what we call um, surrogates of stress. So for example, when your body is stressed, it produces certain hormones, stress hormones that will deal with the stress. So it is individualized. It's not the same for everyone. And there are variations. So we've not been able to find a way where you can say there's a stress uh, that is consistent for all people. But stress is very personal. Now, what stress does is that it, it kicks into place a natural um, equilibrium within the body to try and manage it so that um, the stress doesn't become excessive and, and, and puts your body into overdrive. A little like, um, you know, when you hit the brakes in a car, it slows the car down. You don't smash the brakes uh, because you don't want a, a sudden stop. What you want to is to be able to get control of the situation. Some people have uh, stress from uh, normal interactions, uh, just meeting people, for example, like if I'm coming on a podcast, that could be stressful for me. Or if I'm, on, a, on the other hand, a little bit more gregarious and friendly, then uh, it may not be stressful. It's something that you, you enjoy. So it's, it's that balance. So Prof, what about things like, you know, failing an exam? Isn't that stressful for many people? Uh, it may be, but your body's reaction to it is very critical. The body needs to deal with it. But at the same time, there's central control. That control comes from the brain which is quite key to stress. So uh, apart from what we call homeostasis, which is at local systems, there is a concept of allostasis, which is a centrally controlled stress management system, which is, it involves your brain. And that's quite critical in sort of handling the day-to-day -day stresses, uh, what we call acute stresses. Now, this naturally is not something that will lead to a mental illness because your body's system is in play. But then what happens is, if this system is taken into overdrive, this stress continues over time, it's no longer acute but chronic, then the brain is unable to uh, moderate or uh, alleviate the stress for the body and there will be signs of potential breakdown. But still, the body tries very hard. Now, what we're more concerned in mental illness is what I call traumatic stress. Like, for example, witnessing something that you know normally witness, you know, something very terrible, uh, something very frightening. And... Um, these traumatic experiences may or may not create a problem of overstress, but if they are accumulated and if the trauma continues over time, they can create uh, what we call an allostatic overload. 
and in which case you may develop mental illness. And one of the most common would be a post-traumatic stress disorder, which can appear in the short term, but also in the medium and long term. Now, that's the most direct link to mental illness when stress is involved. However, there are also mental illnesses where stress plays a part in its development. So uh, we could be talking about things like anxiety or depression, where stressful events lead to a certain level of what we call allostatic load, which adds up. And then if you have the genetic predisposition, if you have some risk that of developing the illness, this naturally forms what we call the pathogenesis of the illness. It's part of the development of the illness. And then, of course, uh, then stress is linked. So a lot of times, the misconception is that stress leads to mental illness. Actually, it rarely does. For most parts, most of us, we deal with the distress of stress or even the problems that stress propose, and we deal with it because our brains have that overall control and we are able to manage. So, Prof, you talk about the traumatic stress, right? So we know what is I think we think we know what is bad stress, right? But there is also good stress, right? The type that pushes you to do better in school, at work, you know. So can the body tell the difference between good and bad stress? I think the body can tell the difference between good and bad stress by um, the kind of, uh, well, one part of course is the duration. Bad stress tends to be very chronic and tends to be very persistent. Bad stress can also be one in which the body is unable to control. So, um, and, and like I said, the body doesn't work in isolation. It works in, uh, with the brain in control. So when the brain is not able to alleviate the stress through various ways in terms of like taking yourself out of the stressful situation, doing things to improve your resilience, then uh, it is not a good stress. Good stress is the sort of things that the brain is able to coordinate. So if you're going to, you know, you face a difficult situation, let's say, you, you see an animal, a wild animal, like a wild boar or something that's on the street, you know, the body straight away goes into a situation of fight or flight. Now, most of us will not fight the wild boar, we will run away. And that is how the body kind of, with the brain in control, gets you out of trouble and out of stress. So uh, that's the difference between good and bad stress. Often good stress is short-term, acute, manageable, person is in control. Bad stress is when the person cannot control the situation, it's persistent and chronic. So if that is the case, the bad stress is the one that will actually trigger a mental illness sometime down the road, more so than good stress? Yes, indeed. That's right. So it is therefore important to be able to identify what are potentially bad stresses. There was a group in California, the Kaiser Permanente Group. They studied people with substance use disorders and uh, heart disease. And they wanted to know what are the things that result in these disorders and heart disease in particular. We know that stress has a component to play. So they went back in history, tried to get some idea of how these people who are suffering these disorders were like when they were younger. And they came up with this concept of adverse childhood experiences. Now, adverse childhood experiences are some examples of bad stress in childhood that had long-term impact on the person's life many years down the line. So for example, uh, family disruptions, abuse, neglect, abusive, violent um, uh, situations of parents being uh, incarcerated and put in prison. These were some of the adverse childhood experiences that could potentially you know, predict a series of bad stresses that leads to some of these disorders. And I like to reiterate that originally, adverse childhood experiences were used to study physical illnesses 
but they also have mental illness outcomes. And, and so bad stress is not only bad for um, mental illness, it's also bad for physical illness. Right. Total health, actually. Yes. So, but what, what do we know now about the causes of mental illness? Has it changed? The causes of mental illness, in a way, uh, has always been um, in three main categories. Okay? The first is the brain itself. So within the brain, something must be happening to cause the illness. Mental illnesses are, are essentially brain disorders. Disruptions, we believe, in the network systems of the brain. And the brain is a bioelectric system. So it has neurochemical messengers that transmit information. And of course, at the base of this, these neurochemical systems are the genes, right, which form these systems. And they predict how these systems are developed in a growing person. Then there are the factors around the environment. Now, the environment can be split into two. I mean, the physical environment, um, you know, how the person is in a, a safe environment and they have sufficient nutrition and, and, and physical safety, and as well as the relational environment, which is the environment of the people around them. So when I gave you the example of adverse childhood experiences, for example, uh, it is about relationships, relationships with the first people that uh, a, a young person, a child, comes into contact with the parents and then other responsible caregiving adults as they grow up. So all these relationships, including their peers, obviously, as they're, they're older, uh, have an impact on the person's developing brain. And they are uh, you know, important etiological factors. For the concerns around the physical environment today, I think we generally have a, a much better environment than we had in the past. The emotional or relational environment, on the other hand, continues to be a challenge. What used to be a challenge in big families where children may be neglected or bullied or you know, have, have difficult peer and sibling relationships now have evolved into you know, uh, situations of over-caring and mollycoddling. And, um, and that has also created you know, sort of unnatural environments in terms of relationships that, that may um, you know, uh, predict or, or give rise to mental illnesses. On the other hand, there's the genetic piece. Now, um, one way of thinking of genes is that they are just, uh, you know, sort of uh, coding that's covered up in, in protein. Um, and these genes may or may not be expressed depending on the environment. So there is environmental factors that affect genes. But genes are the sort of underlying causal factors. So in some individuals, when the environment um, affects the genes, and the, the, there's a term for this, it's called epigenetics, uh, these genes will then get expressed. And many of these genes, and, and any studies, and Singapore has been involved in the study, I'm sure you've uh, read in the papers about how you know, we've studied schizophrenia, one of the most serious mental illnesses. And the genes that code for some of the neurochemical processes have been identified. But identifying the genes doesn't necessarily mean that you've identified the epigenetic processes which allow these genes to be expressed in the first place. But there's important starting point. And knowing these genes also help us to understand the pathways in which uh, a mental illness may develop. And that will help us to understand what kind of interventions, particularly medications that can be used that will work. Uh, so they are important, but they are part of this process of trying to understand a very complex process, both from the environment as well as in the genetic components. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. 
So, Prof, you were talking about the role that genetic and environmental factors play in the development of mental illness, right? So, you can have the genes for a mental illness, and we know that mental illness often runs in families, but this doesn't mean that people will inherit the illness from their parents, right? Is it something like a physical illness, like, you know, having the genes for, say, diabetes? Correct. So, uh, like a physical illness like cancer, diabetes, for high blood pressure, it's linked to genes. And what we try to do these days, obviously, is to first identify the gene, then we can target certain pathological processes that may be occurring with medications, sometimes with other kinds of treatments. So it is important to first see those genes and, and be aware of what these genes represent. Having the gene doesn't necessarily, it's not a simple genetic thing. You know, if you have the gene, 50% of the children will develop mental illnesses. In fact, studies of families suggest that for, say, schizophrenia, we're talking about one in 10. So if you have 10 children, you have a chance of one child getting schizophrenia. If one parent suffers from schizophrenia. And in Singapore, it's not that many people have 10 children. So, yeah. <laughs> Thankfully. So, but if that is the case, I mean, it depends on the type of mental illness, right? So how would you know? I mean, is it mostly nature or nurture? And if you're talking about stress, you know, how much of an impact will it be? Yeah. So I think there are some disorders uh, where the genes play a big role, in which case they, uh, you know, the use of medications and other kind of biological interventions make a lot of sense. And, and schizophrenia is one example. Unfortunately, in say, for example, autism spectrum disorders, we haven't found medications that are effective at this point. We have very few candidates of medications and interventions. And so a lot of it has to do with sort of moderating the environment. There are other conditions where the environment plays a huge role. And we're talking about things like the emotional disorders, anxiety, depression. And these are in some ways preventable because if you can create the nurturing environment, you actually reduce the risk. So how is IMH going to help people manage their stress? Well, uh, obviously, IMH is we're just a small organization. You know, we, do, we don't have that many staff. The whole idea of trying to create um, a literate population is that IMH will try and help people help themselves. Um, what do I mean, right? It's, it's very easy to sort of fish for people and, and provide all the fishes that they need on the river of life <laughs> or to teach people to fish, right? And uh, how do they learn to deal with uh, stress, have an understanding? It starts with awareness. So that's important, having this conversation. This podcast is an awareness-building exercise. But at the same time, teaching people uh, what are the skills that are needed to manage stress. So what are some of these skills? Yeah, so I think in, in a typical uh, training program for stress management is self-awareness. Because like I said, stress starts from knowing yourself and knowing what stresses you and, and it's unique to individuals. So people need to first understand what stress, what is good stress, what is bad stress, accept that there is uh, stress around us. It's like water, it's all around us. And then what are the things you can do? For example, do you have time for yourself? What is the thing that helps you to relax? What are the skills uh, that you need to sort of find time for yourself? your own time, learning to meditate, to be mindful of yourself and, and the experiences that you have. And then, of course, there are also what I call biological interventions that are important for stress, rest, proper nutrition, uh, enough sleep. These are quite simple things, but hard to do. This is where uh, I think the use of either technology or uh, a, an environment where, where people are reminded that they need to take time off, they need to spend time with uh, their loved ones, they need to find time for themselves, find hobbies, you know, don't become overwhelmed with all the demands of life. And I think 
those are the things that we can do. Uh, we probably would like to train people to, in, the, in the broad skills, create awareness, but also be able to create this peer awareness where they, you know, people will help each other so that there is less of the uh, needing to go and seek counselling support because we don't have enough uh, counsellors, for example, for the whole country. If everyone needs counselling, we're in trouble, right? So what we want people to do is to be able to hey, help each other, you know, have that kampong spirit. Um, and I think that's consistent with what many of the interventions that we're trying to do and roll out is to bring other stakeholders. Uh, it could be community, it could be workplaces, and it could be schools to come together and, and, and support uh, individuals in the uh, handling of stress. Perhaps this is the new war against stress. So before we end, um, you know, can you give us some tips since we, we already spoke about it, but what are the mistakes that you think people make when it comes to stress, right? Because, you know, we talk about handling stress all the time, but you see people seeking help when the stress overwhelms them. So before it gets to that stage, you know, what should people do? I think the key thing is having a, um, I, I call it the three R's, huh? having a, a defined role in your life is helpful. So know what you're doing, you know, know what your purpose and meaning is about is important. Then making sure that you maintain your relationships. It's very easy to say this and maybe, you know, it sounds like a, just a, um, something that we give advice for, but, but relationships are quite key to humans. Uh, and without relationships, we don't have an outlet for many of our stresses. So I think it's it's a, a burden shared is always a burden half. So find your friends, find your family and spend time with them. And the last, I think, is uh, what I call routines. You know, create a routine for your life that works for you. You know, have the rest moments, have the moments where you have your meals, uh, have the moments when you do your hobbies. Uh, find that routine and keep to it. The lack of routine, the lack of good relationships, and the, uh, the loss of perspective in, in terms of your role in life will create stress for yourself. And in the long run, it's harmful. Thank you for the great tips and the wonderful insights on stress. Thank you, Joyce. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. Don't forget to subscribe to us for free on your favourite smartphone apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Search for Straits Times Health Check, like us and give us a rating. Thank you for listening. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.